And while our kids are heading off to Children's Church, I invite the rest of you to open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 3. That's the fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 3. Just uh, a couple announcements before we start. Um, one is to uh, let you know there will be a memorial service at Linden Ponds this Friday at 3.30 for one of our uh, brothers who's gone to be with the Lord, Norman Carlson. Some of you know Norm. He was, uh, to say a pillar of the church would be a little insufficient. He was just one of those brothers who has carried this congregation on his shoulders for decades, has been a leader among us and uh, an elder, an elder emeritus, and he's gone to be with, with the Lord and receive his reward. So we're going to celebrate his life at uh, Friday at 3.30 at Linden Ponds. And the second is uh, that there is um, a special business meeting of the church for those of you who are members of the church on Tuesday night, November 23rd at 7.30. Just one item for the special business meeting. Where it's kind of a technical thing. We're basically switching banks for our church loan for doing the building project. Uh, and so to be able to switch banks, we have to have the congregation officially approve that. So uh, for those of you members, we'd love to have you out for um, a very technical and interesting business meeting where we're basically going to be voting to, to switch uh, banks in, in our loan situation. So you'll learn more about that Tuesday night, November 23rd, 7.30 p.m. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 21 to 29. Let me read the text. At that time, I commanded Joshua... You have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same thing to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. At that time I pleaded with the Lord, O sovereign Lord, you've begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country in Lebanon. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes, since you are not going to cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. So he stayed in the valley near Beth Peor. Sometimes God tells his children, no. And I'm not sure why sometimes. Sometimes we plead with the Lord, we pray, we agonize, we entreat Him, we pray again and again and again, we ask others to pray, and God sometimes still says no. So we search our motives, we go back and look at our hearts, we try to make sure that we're asking for the right reasons, that we're asking for the right things. We we try to uh, look into ourselves and say, is there some sort of slippery motive within me that's that's really at work here because I know how deceitful my own heart can be. And we check our hearts and we say, I think I'm asking the right things for the right reasons. And God still says no. And so we claim the promises in His Word. You know, Jesus says in uh, in His Word, ask 
and it will be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. So I'm asking, Lord. I'm trusting your word. And sometimes he still says no. Now, why does God say no to his children whom he loves when they're asking for seemingly good reasons and for good things based upon his word? And yet there are those times when God seems to send a negative answer in our direction. It's very it's mystifying. It can be painful for us as Christians. It can test our faith uh, to its limits. Well, here we have in Deuteronomy chapter 3. Moses is uh, recounting the history of his people leading up to the book of Deuteronomy. They're poised to enter into the promised land. And Moses is remembering sort of a rather personal and intimate story that he's sharing with the Israelites. And it's a time when God said no to Moses. But it wasn't just any no. I mean, it wasn't as if Moses was asking for a triviality. It's not like Moses was asking for, a, I don't know, an upgrade to his chariot or something with... You know, God, can I get the spinning hubcaps on my chariot or or something, you know, like that. This was something big. Moses was asking, Lord, can I go into the promised land with Israel? Moses has been leading these people for 40 years. I mean, he's the guy who led them out of Egypt. He's the guy who put up with them for 40 years in the wilderness. Finally, they're at the edge of the promised land, and he says, Lord, Just, I want to go in. Can I go in and see it? I've been hearing about this and talking about it for all these years. And here at the very edge of the Jordan River, God says no to Moses. You can't go in. Stop talking about it, Moses. I don't want to hear about this again. Why does God say no sometimes to his beloved children? Look at verse 21. He says, at that time I commanded Joshua... Moses says, you've seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. We just recently studied about those two kings, Sihon and Og, and God wiped them out on the east side of the Jordan. Now he says, the Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you're going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. So here Moses is giving Joshua his, his uh, understudy, a, a pep talk. He's like, you, you can do this. God's going to do it. God took care of those kings. He'll take care of the kings on the other side of the Jordan River. Don't be afraid. Why is Moses giving Joshua the pep talk? Because uh, Joshua is actually going to be the one who carries the Israelites across. He's the one who leads them into the promised land, not Moses. And so Moses then prays, you know, Lord, sovereign Lord, you've begun to show your servant your greatness in your strong hand. Then verse 25 is the request. Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan. I want to cross over with them. And God gives this answer. It's not just a no, all right? This is a very strong no. Verse 26, that's enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. Sounds like what I say to my kids sometimes, you know. Enough. I said no. I said no the second time. I mean no. It don't If you ask me again, you know, you start getting into that, that mode. Don't even ask me again. I don't want to hear this. The answer is no, and I'm not changing my mind. It's very firm. It's very almost a rebuke, a scold to Moses for asking the question. Why wouldn't God let him go over and see the promised land after all these years? What, what is going on here? Well, there's a bit of a backstory to this, um, and we'll look at it. But even the backstory is is 
It's a little mystifying, perhaps, at first glance. So let's just look at it. Put a bookmark here in Deuteronomy. Go back one book of the Bible to Numbers, chapter 20. And let's just read about the event that precipitated this exclusion of Moses from the promised land. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. So here's the story that led up to this. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates and there's no water to drink. I mean, oy vey, you know. <laughs> Do you realize Moses had to listen to this for 40 years? And this is like... Day in the life of Moses, 40 years in the wilderness. Can you imagine having being called by God to lead a people who, at the beginning of the 40 years, were ready to kill you and get new leadership? And God said, no, you're not going to get that. And you have to keep leading these people for 40 years? So just like another day in the life with Moses and Israel in the wilderness, the people are opposed to Moses. They don't like Moses. They want to go back. They want to go back to Egypt. I mean, seriously? But that's what they want. And, you know, there's no pomegranates, no figs. They're just, it's just this whiny, miserable rabble of rebels. So Moses goes to the Lord because he's the go-between between God and the people. He's the mediator. And he and Aaron go, verse 6, from the assemblies. They leave one people and they go to the tent of meeting where the Lord is and meets with them. And he fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, take the staff. And you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock. Apparently there was some rock that they knew we were talking about. <clears throat> and before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So God, again, provides. God, again, is patient. God, again, meets their needs. He gives Moses instructions. And Moses obeys. Well, almost obeys pretty close look at verse 9 so moses took the staff from the lord's presence just as he commanded him he and aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and moses said to them listen you rebels must we bring you water out of this rock and then moses raised his arm and he struck the rock twice with his staff and water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank so moses did what he said what god said Almost. I mean, God said, speak to the rock. Moses smacked the rock twice with the staff. And then what happens? You know, the water comes out. God's faithful. But then here's verse 12. Here's the faithful verse. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I'll give them. And so right there, Moses is shut out. He's not going in. And so that's the reason, and you go back then to Deuteronomy 3, that's the story, verse 26, Moses sums it up this way, because of you, the Lord was angry with me, 
and would not listen to me. That's enough, the Lord said. Don't speak to me anymore about this matter. So apparently, even after God said that, there must have been this ongoing conversation of Moses praying for the privilege to go into the promised land. But he's not going in. So God said no. And it's a little bit baffling. It's like God said no? Really? For for what? Because he, he hit the rock instead of talking to the rock? I mean, okay, he didn't do exactly what God said, but... I mean, Really? That that is going to keep him from going into the promised land? I mean, Peter denied the Lord Jesus three times, and Jesus forgave him. And like Moses can't even get a little forgiveness for this one slip up. And and it's like this is Moses we're talking about. If anyone had sort of the privilege of coming into God's presence, it would have been Moses. Moses was the, the mediator of the covenant between Israel and God. Moses. If anyone knew the Lord, it says in the Old Testament that Moses spoke with the Lord as a man speaks with his friend face to face. In fact, Moses was so close to God that and spent so much time in God's presence, the Old Testament tells us that he had to wear a veil because his face shone with the glory of God. It's like God's glory had kind of rubbed off on him or something. And so the people were scared of Moses, so he had to wear a veil. So if anyone had a right to ask the Lord for this, it would have been Moses. And look how he asks the Lord. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 3, it's not rude, it's not demanding. It says in verse 23, At that time I pleaded with the Lord, O sovereign Lord. You know, that there's a little word in Hebrew there that indicates that it was not sort of a demand, but it was kind of a humble, polite entreaty. But Moses is pleading humbly with God. He's not coming in like a bull in a china shop demanding his rights. This, he's asking in a humble way. And it seems like he's asking with the right motives. You know, you look at, if you, based on what's in the text here, he says, O oh, sovereign Lord, you've begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. So what's motivating Moses to go in is not like, look, Lord, I've got a legacy here that I need to complete. Or it's not like, look, if I don't go in, people are going to think badly of me. It wasn't about Moses and his reputation and his legacy. I mean, it seems to be, based on the text, what he's saying is God... I've begun to see, just starting to see how great you are. I want to see more. I want to go in. I'm addicted to your glory. Let me see more of who you are and your majesty. He seems to have all the right motives. I mean, isn't that the motive that we are supposed to have? Like that song we sing, glory to God, take my life and let it be. You know, the Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So God's glory should, as Christians, be our sort of underpinning, uh, deepest motivational wellspring. And here's Moses, motivated by a desire to see more of God's glory. And so God says no, and it just seems so strange that God would say no to Moses in this moment. Why does God say no sometimes? Why does He say no to us? Because He does sometimes. We pray for somebody to come to know Jesus. We have someone we love that we want them to know the Lord Jesus and to repent and trust in Christ. So we pray for the person. We pray and pray and pray year after year. And we talk to them about the Lord whenever there's a little opening just to share who the Lord is to us. We, you know, we try to trick them into coming to Christmas Eve services. You know, or, and we do every, pull out all the stops. You know, we give them a little book for Christmas. You should read this. And it's, you know a book about the Lord, and we just want them to know the Lord. Not, not because we're 
self-righteous or something. We just want them to know the Lord that has saved us. And, and nothing happens and nothing happens. And then finally, in some cases, the person dies. And when they die, and we don't know their heart. That's in God's hands. We're not in the judge of anyone's salvation. But based on what we can tell, it doesn't seem that the person ever really got the message of the gospel. We, we can't see any evidences coming from their life that they had repented and turned to the Lord. We, we don't see evidences of grace coming out of their lives all the way up to their deathbed. And so we go, okay, I mean, maybe God dealt with them in the last moments. It's in His hands. But from what I can tell, there wasn't a real change. Their heart wasn't changed by God's grace. And, and I prayed for them. And doesn't God want all people to be saved? So what's the deal? I was praying according to His will. Why would God say no? Apparently. Apparently. You know, we, we pray for a brother and sister who's sick. Someone who, who's following the Lord. They're serving the Lord. They're a choice servant of God. And we pray for them in their illness. And, and we believe God can heal. You know, I do believe God can heal. I'm, I'm not one of those Christians who believe that healing and all that ended with the, the closing of the New Testament. I believe God heals people today when you pray for them. He, he calls us in the Scripture as elders to anoint people with oil and pray for them. We do that as a church. The elders of this church do that. And I think we've seen God heal some people in His time and through all the different ways God heals. So I believe God can heal. And uh, He doesn't always do it. Some people you pray for, and they get better. Some people you pray for, they don't get better. It's like, why? God, we're not asking for a, you know, to hit the Powerball here lottery. We're <laughs> this isn't a prayer for, you know, the Patriots to win the Super Bowl or some silly prayer like that. You know, we're praying for someone's life who wants to serve you, Lord. Why can't we pray for that? Why wouldn't God answer that? And so we pray for children. We pray for spouses. We want a spouse. We pray that God would maybe give us a different spouse. We pray, uh, or at least a, ch- a change in our spouse. Um, pray for our children to walk with the Lord, and they don't. We we ask Him for jobs to provide. For, we just want to provide for our families. And it's so tough to get work. You know, why wouldn't God do that? If I, you, you know, you start getting into that kind of scary realm of saying, well, if I was God, I would answer that request. We, those thoughts come into our minds. So why doesn't the Lord answer? Yes, all the time to his children's pleas. Well, I um, I don't know. <laughs> As it says in Isaiah, you know, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who did the Lord consult? Who instructed him? You know, certainly isn't me. I, I don't know. Paul says in Romans, Oh, the depths... And the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. So I I can't stand here and say that I understand the mechanics of God's purposes. I I can't even figure out my own life. Who who am I to stand up and say, I know the mind of the Lord? And so, So in some ways, it's a kind of a question where we don't know why God does what he does unless he tells us directly, which he often doesn't. Um, but maybe there's a different way of kind of getting at this this experience we have as Christians of hearing a no from God. Maybe there's a different way of kind of asking it instead of saying, why did God say no? You know, an, another way to look at it is this. We do know, because God's told us, that everything he does, he does for one great ultimate purpose, which is to glorify himself. You know, why do you and I exist on planet Earth? We're here to glorify God. That's your purpose in life. 
That's my purpose. That's why God made us. Why does God exist? He exists to glorify God. So that God's great purpose and our great purpose is the same. It's to savor and to glorify and to enjoy and to delight in the greatest thing and the greatest good in all the universe, which is God himself. And so if everything God does is ultimately for his glory, then even though I may not know all the whys behind it when God says no, I can instead look at the same problem and say, okay, how is God gaining glory for himself when he says no? And I think that's a question that we might have a little more traction on getting an answer to. And I think as you look here in this text and as you just kind of think generally, I can see in this text three ways in which God glorifies himself when he says no. Three ways in which God displays his wonderful character and person to the world, even in the no's. And so let me just quickly uh, look at these with you. Here's the first one. Number one, when God says no, he's displaying the glory of, number one, his sovereignty. His sovereignty. In other words, the fact that he's in charge, he's the king, he's God, and he's free to do as he pleases. Our God is in the heavens, Isaiah says. He does as he pleases. It's his sovereignty. You know, you see it right here in the text in verse 21 in Moses' pep talk to Joshua. The Lord will do the same to all those kingdoms over there where you're going. Don't worry about those kingdoms. God can raise a kingdom up. He can knock a kingdom down. He's sovereign over the kings of the earth. It's even more clear in verse 24. How does Moses begin his prayer? Oh, sovereign Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness in your strong hand. Here we go. For what God is there in heaven on earth or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? God can do anything. He's sovereign. He can do miracles. He parted the Red Sea. He took out these kings. He did the plagues in Egypt. He can do whatever he wants. He's almighty God. And so his sovereignty is on display here. He's the sovereign Lord. And when God says no... He's expressing his sovereignty just in a way that I'm not actually appreciating at the moment. <laughs> but he's still sovereign. You know, he's free to do as he wishes. We sing about God being the Lord, but do I really think through everything that that means? Because the bottom line is it's easy for me to sing, you know, the Lord, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But, but frankly, I don't like when people say no to me. I don't like it when my will is thwarted. I don't like when my sovereignty is disregarded. And yet God is the sovereign Lord. And sometimes he says no. He, he saves whom he will save. He does what he will do. And he's the Lord and he's free to do that. You know, we've been indoctrinated as modern Western people in the religion of the self. That's the religion we've been taught. And in the religion of the self, the self is sacrosanct. The self is sovereign. My freedom is paramount. And the worst sin that anyone can commit would be to somehow constrain my freedom. That's what we've been taught growing up in this culture without even realizing that's the religion of today. And, and here comes God, and God says no, and he's sovereign, and, and he's the Lord. And that just kind of goes against the grain. Isn't that kind of the story of Job in the Old Testament? You guys know the story of Job? Job was a guy to whom God sent a big series of no's. No, no, no. Took away his kids, took away his money, took away his health. And so Job got miffed about it and eventually started calling God out. He's like, you know, God, if you want him, I want you to come down here and we'll settle this man to man. And, and uh, I've got some questions to ask you, God, because I don't deserve this. 
I'm blameless. I've done a good job following you, and you've given me so much misery. Come down here, and I'm going to put you on the witness stand, God, and I'm going to ask you some questions like a lawyer. And it's one of these amazing stories where God actually does come. But Moses, or not Moses, uh, Job finds himself on the witness stand, and God is the lawyer. God's like, actually, I'm going to ask you some questions. Uh, Let's start with creation. What can you tell me? Did you make this? Oh, you didn't make this. Uh, can you explain how this works? You can't. Huh, isn't that interesting? Uh, who do you think you're talking to? And, and eventually, you know, Job realizes that the mistake he's made is questioning the sovereignty of the Creator. You know, God has the right to do whatever He wants. And that's just hard for us to hear. So when a no comes along, it's actually an opportunity for worship. It's an opportunity for us to humble ourselves and to submit ourselves to God's sovereignty. You know, to be like Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she heard that she was going to bear the Savior. And she said, may it be to me as the Lord has said. May we glorify God by submitting to His sovereign purposes, even when they seem at cross purposes to our will. But not only does a no from God reveal His sovereignty to us and call us to submit to it, a no from God also reveals His holiness to us. His holiness. Let's go back to the story of Moses. You know, why did God uh, get so mad because Moses hit the rock with the stick? I mean, big deal, really, right? Actually, it was a big deal. Because if you go back to that story in Numbers, you know, Moses was the representative of God before the people. He wasn't just any guy. He he was the mediator. He he represented God's will before the people. and, And God's authority was symbolized by that staff that he held. That was the rod of the Lord's authority. God was the shepherd over Israel, his flock, and Moses held the shepherd's staff to symbolize that he was God's man and that God's authority was with him. Remember that staff? Remember all the stuff Moses did with that staff? He turned into a snake. He parted the Red Sea with it. He did miracles with that staff. It symbolized God's shepherding authority, God's presence. And so when Moses was there, and, and he was supposed to speak to the rock, instead he hit it, it was more than just kind of missing some of the rules on how to do a miracle or something like that. He was, I mean, he was railing against, in a sense, God's glory. He, he was full of arrogance and self-righteousness at that moment. And when he was hitting that stick, I mean, there was something being said about God's holiness there, and God would put him in this stinking position of having to lead these people. You know, he's just angry, hitting that rock. And so in that moment, he had crossed the line and was really denigrating the glory of God that he had been chosen to represent. And that's why God says to him in verse 12, not, you're not going to the promised land because you hit the rock. He says, because you did not trust in me to honor me as holy, Holy in the sight of the Israelites. See, ultimately, sin is us saying no to God. You know what's sin? Sin's when we say no to God. Judgment is when God says no to us. And so in that moment, Moses was saying no to God's holiness and His person and His character and His glory. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they were saying no to God. And so God kicked them out of Eden and said no to them. When King David uh, broke God's law and committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then Bathsheba became pregnant, 
and they had the kid, and the kid was sick, and, Mo, and David was pleading with God to let the kid live, and the child died as part of God's judgment on his sin. David had sinned by saying no to God's law, and God said no to David's prayer. And so sin is, is the world saying no to God, and judgment is God saying no back to the world. No, you will not enter eternal life. No, you will not know my glorious presence because you've said no to me. And, you know, in a general sense, all of us, even Christians, live in a sinful and broken world where there's been a, a great um, divine no pronounced over this world. That's the world we live in. Even as Christians who are forgiven in Christ, we still live in this world. You know, we still have to die someday. And even though we, we know that Jesus has saved us and forgiven us, we still live under the tokens of judgment in this world to some degree. And so there's still a big no coming. It's the day when we have to die, and God says kind of a final no to us, and we, we have to succumb to death. And so even as Christians, we live in this sinful world. So when God says no to you, reflect on the fact that we are sinners. Reflect on the fact that none of us is righteous in His sight. Reflect on the fact that we live in the world of no right now. And that we can't come to God on the basis of our own goodness. You know, because a lot of times when God says no, right? Instead of humbling ourselves and saying, you know, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. A lot of times what happens when God says no is we actually go the opposite direction like Job and we begin to protest our own righteousness. How can you say no to me? You know how many committees I have spent time on in church? I mean, that's got to count for something. And uh, I'm actually a pretty decent person. I do this, I do that, I've been involved in this way. And we begin rattling off our kind of moral resume to God as if God somehow owes us because we've been so good. But people, if Moses <laughs> couldn't get into the promised land because he had denigrated the glory of God, do we really think that we're going to get into eternal life? based upon our merits and our righteousness and our spirituality and our religion and our education and our civic duty and our service in the military and all the good things we could stack up in our lives to commend ourselves to God. And God would say, no, there is none righteous, no, not one. If Moses can't get in the promised land, there's really no hope at all for me getting into eternal life based on my own efforts and merits. And so... When God says no, I don't know why He always says no, but look for His sovereignty and submit to it. Look for His holiness and, and let that no remind you that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, just like Moses, just like everyone in the Scriptures. And then may we then also see the last aspect of God's glory, which is His grace and His mercy and His love and His kindness. That in every no from God, there is another side. His mercy is somehow expressed in it. You see it here in this passage? You see His mercy in the fact that in verse 27, He still lets Moses go up to the top of Mount Pisgah and see the promised land from there. But even more so, you see His mercy and grace in that Joshua is going in. And Moses got to train and equip and prepare Joshua. Moses' work with the Israelites is not in vain. God is going to bring it to pass through Joshua. And so even though God has said no to Moses, He said yes to Joshua. And in a very real sense, brothers and sisters, 
Jesus Christ is our Joshua. In fact, its name is the same in Hebrew, interestingly. Yeshua means Joshua, means Jesus. He's our Joshua. God has said yes to Christ. Even though He said no to the world because of our sin, He said yes to Jesus. Jesus succeeded where Adam, Moses, David, Jeremy, Seth, all of us have failed. Jesus succeeded. Jesus has fulfilled the Father's will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Lord, you know, if it's possible for this cup to pass for me, may it pass, but not my will, but yours be done. And he submitted to God's will. He was crucified, buried, raised. And he has gone into the true promised land, which is eternal life. And so through Christ, there is now a yes for us in Jesus. And so though God may say no, in Christ he has said yes. And through Jesus, there is a divine yes for our salvation and our eternal life. And so when God says no to us in this life, to our worldly requests, our earthly requests, you know, don't don't let it discourage you. All God's doing is just helping us refocus on what he's already given us in Christ. Because a lot of the times, let's just be honest, I don't really savor what it is that Jesus did for me on the cross. I, I really don't savor and see how great it is that I have eternal life and the forgiveness of my sins. Like, I believe that, but a lot of times that's kind of like way over there and really distant and really small. Does Jesus die for me? Oh, yeah, he died for me and I have eternal life. That's great. But what I really need help with, God, is my car. This is the real issue on the table, Lord. Yeah, thanks for Jesus. Appreciate it. But the car, I need this thing fixed. You know, and I can't pay for this when I also got to pay for that. And what about my kid? You know, and that's what's big in our vision. And oh, yeah, and thanks. Yeah, yeah, and Jesus, too. That's great. Thank you. I have eternal life. But I think sometimes when God says no, he just sort of flattens down all of those earthly concerns. Not that they're irrelevant, but he just puts them in perspective. And we have an opportunity when he says no to reflect upon the yes in Christ. Do, do you think what it means that your sins are forgiven and you have forgiveness with your Creator? Think about eternity with God forever. Think about eternity under the divine no in hell. Think of the judgment that you've escaped and the promises and the inheritance of eternal life in God's presence that is yours in Christ. I mean, we can't even begin to know the riches of eternal life with our Lord and forgiveness that we have received. It's tough to even enumerate the blessings of salvation. I mean, God says, you know, now we see through a mirror dimly. Even in this life, we can't fully know what it is the Lord has in store for us in eternal life. Such a promise, and yet so often it's so far away. But I believe that when God says no in this life, one of the opportunities is put before us is an opportunity to get our perspective straightened out and to see that we have a yes in Christ. There's a great story that uh, Charles Spurgeon, the famous 19th century British preacher, tells. One of my favorite Spurgeon stories. Apparently Spurgeon was trying to talk about the Lord with a guy And the guy didn't want anything to do with it. He's like, look, I don't need Jesus. I'm prosperous. I have money. 
I'm successful, I have respect in the community, I'm well-known, I'm healthy, I'm young, I'm attractive, you know, that kind of thing. Like, what, what's Jesus going to add to my life? What, why do I need Jesus? And so Spurgeon said, well, you know, let's go for a walk. And they, they went and visited a member of Spurgeon's church. She was an elderly lady, very poor. And, you know, they went to visit her and like, how's it going today? And, and you know, as sometimes the case, oh, it's not good. I'm achy. And, you know, the, uh, the, the, the organ recital, you know, talking about all the organs that... Uh, <laughs> This hurts and that hurts and that's not working and and I don't have the money and you know it's just just a miserable you know, sometimes you know old age can really be rough and she was in all the throes of that and wasn't rich and wasn't prosperous and wasn't well known in the community and wasn't healthy and strong and all of that and, and, and so Spurgeon said well I'm going to meet you my introduce you to my friend here he's he's prosperous he's wealthy he's healthy he's got the whole world in his hand everything's going for him uh, just one thing though. He doesn't have the Lord Jesus. And then, and then he asks the woman, how much would you give to be able to trade places with him? And the woman looked aghast and she said, trade places with him? If you have Jesus Christ, you have everything. Even if you have nothing, you have everything. And if you don't have the Lord Jesus, you are worse than bankrupt. Even if you think you have anything, you have less than you even think you have. You are in great debt and in great danger. Let's pray.